Hello, welcome this week to the Life Stamps, stories from here and there. This week, I'm interviewing a good friend of mine. His name is Talbot. He had been um, manager of the Portland Hawthorne Hostel now for over about 20 plus years here in Southeast Portland. And I'm really excited to ask him about all his experiences, his life stamp about being manager of the hostel. And we'll dive right into that after a word from my sponsor. Thank you. So welcome, my listeners. Tonight, we have a good friend of mine. His name is Talbot Wallace. He's been the manager at the Portland Hawthorne Hostel on Hawthorne. And welcome to the show, Talbot. Hey, Tyson. How's it going? It's good to be here. Yeah, it's good to have you here. So um, let's get started. So how many years have you actually been managing uh, the hostel on Hawthorne? Well, my involvement with the hostel actually started in the 90s. Um, I was a volunteer there initially, and I actually stayed there back in 98. 98, yeah, okay. Yeah, I actually slept in the bed in the basement with everybody else in the <laughs> dorm room. I was, I'm a hostler at heart, so that's kind of where my roots started. And then uh, one of the one of the, the staff invited me to the Thanksgiving dinner, which is a big deal there, big community dinner. And then after that, I started volunteering there. And then after that, a few months later, they asked me to be on the board of directors, which is a small nonprofit. So I was on that for like five years. And I started managing um, assistant manager in 04 and then managing the hostel primarily um, from 06 till last year. That's great. So how would you say your journey began? Like, you know, you coming to Portland and then eventually finding the hostel? Well, it's funny. um, Like, uh, I've never been to Portland before in my life. Like, um, I'm originally from Virginia and I graduated from a small liberal arts college called James Madison University in 97. And then as soon as I graduated I moved out to Utah I did some traveling and then I came back to Pennsylvania for a little bit and I was getting a little stir crazy about the east coast and just wasn't sinking with me and I did some research and I saw how um, how like transportation transportation friendly and user friendly Portland was Portland had a really good reputation and I remember I went through like the, um, to the Gorge Amphitheater and saw a concert in, through Eastern Oregon and it seemed like it was really beautiful so I was like you know what why don't I just Try to get a transfer out here, and that's when I came out here back in '98. Marriage at first sight type of experience, would you say? I just I think I fell in love with Portland right away. It spoke to me on a number number of different facets, like um, being from a small college town, somewhat conservative in Virginia. Um, like I think Portland just really spoke to a lot of like the individuality, like come as you are and like kind of make it your own. Um, Portland's very community minded. Um, there's so many facets of here that kind of spoke to me like, Hey, the individuals like kind of valued and prized and kind of made up the city. And especially when we, when I came out here in the late nineties was kind of before Portlandia. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, we all know like locals here about the, you know, the gentrification yeah. of everything that's happening. We could, we could go all on and on about that in another oh, yeah. episode because Portland's been such a changing city <laughs> in the last yeah. 10 years. And from uh, people that have been here for a long time, a lot of us will probably say, not for the best. We all say this. We're all salty locals at heart that have been here for a bit. <laughs> it's, a, it's a tough one because Portlandia, I mean, work at the hostel. I mean, I saw the transition that people were kind of gravitated because they're looking for a certain lifestyle, like a bohemian, like hipster lifestyle. And I can kind of see those facets being true, but also like there's a happy medium like of hitting something right before everyone hears about it. So basically, I would say... The sweet spot for me for Portland was up to like 
Kind of when Portlandia came out. A lot of my um, travels through Mexico have actually kind of had that same sort of feel to me as well. Yeah. You know, even though I never made Mex anywhere in Mexico a permanent home base, but I would go back to similar places in Mexico only a year later, and it's just been completely blown up, and it doesn't have the local feel as much because there's so many newcomers that are in, in, yeah. in, the, in the village, in the city, in the town, whatever yeah. it have been. You know, I think the world in general kind of goes through this kind of uh, influx of, you know, um, tra uh, migration <laughs> that totally. that changes the culture sometimes for better, sometimes for worse. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're totally right on that. Like, I think it's all like timing's everything, right? So, like, I mean, you're saying, you know, using the analogy of Mexico, I I've done a lot of traveling myself, and I feel the same way. Um, like a lot of times, you'll find in the guidebooks, everyone's doing the same thing. But if you can hit that place right before the guidebook has been written about it then it's like the super sweet spot where like the locals aren't burned out on you. It's not too expensive. It's not one of those kind of like archetype, like everyone, you know, does exact same. And people are always still see, happy to see newcomers and stuff and well, welcoming and wanting to share their, their local tips and yeah. recommendations about the city or the area Absolutely. to you and stuff. Yeah. They're not burnt out on travelers that much. I mean, unfortunately it's just a result. So when you first landed at the also, you felt like everybody was pretty much embraced you with open arms type of thing. You well, got you situated. Yeah. I mean, it just like being from, from a conservative town in Virginia and like coming out here, just, it was just night and day. I think it was just a different kind of ethos of like, what people wanted from their lives and people are like a rugged individualism that I really appreciated and it's kind of like live and let live and I feel like and part of where I'm from too was like the Bible Belt area sure and I was kind of not into that I mean I'm not against spirituality or Jesus or you know whatever people's but personal faith and wherever they put a place to I just yeah you go back east in the Bible Belt and it's a little bit of a dogma kind of thing where like people are concerned about where you go to church on the Kevin Sundays. Smith film yeah <laughs> yeah 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 uh, there's definitely uh, some in inclinations with that but um but yeah like um, it's you know it was, I was from a conservative valley and it was, it was a beautiful place to grow up I mean Shenandoah Valley is like one of the most pretty places on the east coast but I just needed a fresh start and just hitting Portland and like just everything was possible and it was an exciting time in the late 90s and I just, you know, I loved it. I just kind of, I felt more at home here within the first few months of moving here than anywhere else I've ever been. Well, that's great. I mean, that speaks a lot for itself too, you know. I yeah. Because most people take a while to break it in. I mean, I'd say for me myself, it took me about two years to actually really break Portland in. I always yeah. saw Seattle as like, the more attractive, bigger brother of the two. And I was going there and visiting friends right. in Seattle every other weekend, you know, for my first couple of years till I could I finally break in and like basically make a solid group of friends here because it is a hard city to break in. Yeah. You know, and especially even more coming talking from that time period, I think it was a little bit more difficult. I forgot what year did you move here? I came here in two thousand two. Right. So right. You know, a little bit later than you yourself. But it was so over by then. I was like shell art. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Portland was like, you know, like oh man, you should have been here in the late nineties because that's yeah. when Portland everybody knew what Portland was really about. Oh yeah. I mean O two O threes it means still you know, even now, I mean I know it's lots of change and I, I've had kids and I've bought a house and I've settled down and I don't see another city in the country that I really want to live and put down roots um, we're going through a tough time right now but I think most west coast cities you know and like homeless and COVID everyone's dealing with similar problems and I think it's societal issues and lack of safety net in the United States 
But I think we'll rebound, and I think the character of Portland will shine through in the long run. I hope it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I believe that too. You know, we'll um, save that a little bit for a little bit later in the episode when we talk about the future. But um, talking about, so you come into the Portland Hustle, you start volunteering, then they embrace you, and you, you become staff. At one point, did you get to the point where you can start making some of the like event decisions for the hostel and start planning out some of the activities and oh, stuff. The programming? That, yeah, and stuff with the hostel. At what point did you hit that point? Well, it, it kind of goes back to um, back in 99. Yeah, 99. Um, I took a year off and actually um, decided to go around the world. Okay. So I went to like 25 countries and uh, almost a calendar year. So I put all my stuff in storage and I took care of my bills. And I was like, hey, if I don't do it now, I think I was 26 at the time, I'll never do it again. Because what happens is you get Sure, married, you need your rite of passage or right. you're like... <laughs> all these other barriers are always going to come up. You have kids, you have a job that won't let you go. And at the time, I wasn't working at the hostel, but I was in sales. And I wasn't super fulfilled doing that, although I made pretty good money. And I was like, well, you know, if I'm ever going to travel like this, this is my opportunity. And I bought like a, a ticket for uh, around the world flight, which is like three thousand dollars. Wow. Okay. And it's and it's cool because I don't heard I haven't heard anyone do that of late. But basically, the rule is it's like a star alliance. So it was like Lufthansa, United, Thai Air, and you had to go in the same direction. You had to you had to pick out your points of when you're gonna hop on a plane and, and connect beforehand. Right. So I think the airline um, partnerships were probably a little more knocked in stone then. Yeah. But now they change partnerships all the time, make new friends and cut ties with friends and stuff. So it's always changing. Yeah. Then I think it was a little more of like a you basically just had Star Alliance, and then I can't remember Star the, Alliance, the yeah. name of the other affiliate that was in part yeah. of it. But United Airlines was in one, and American Airlines was in the other. I just exactly. Yeah. United now. United Star Alliance was the one I went with, and like. Um, I had a uh, travel agent from STA Travel. I don't know if you remember those guys downtown. They used to be affiliated with the hostel. And, um, and she's a yeah, student travel agency. And it, she basically said, hey, you should, maybe you want to do this around the world trip. And it's a really good value. So I did that. And it was life-changing, obviously. And I came back from that. And then I started saying, well, like, you know, I, I've done enough travel. And I've stayed, like, hundreds of hostels. I, you know, I want to walk the walk and preach and, you know, talk about it and tell everyone how easy or how how feasible it is because I think a lot of people, especially Americans, are wary of international travel, thinking it's dangerous or too difficult or whatever. Um, so I came back, and then the HIUSA or Hostel International has a World Travel One on One program. So I kind of took that under my wing and made it my own. I had my own photos, and and I basically went to like all the universities, like read, like went to Reed, went to um, University of Portland, PSU, um, and. REI and all around like the University of Oregon down south too um, but basically did this presentation it was free it was like an hour long on the basics of uh, international travel like how to get your passport oh okay all, all, yeah. all the international travel yeah. for newbies yeah it's like stuff. yeah it's like a one how to do currency conversions learning yeah. basic tips uh, language too like I imagine learning a little basic, bit I mean honestly basic expressions for countries you go to and cultural norms and that kind of thing perhaps. yeah honestly I'm not the best with languages my, my mastery of English is somewhat challenged as it is um, but like you know things like where's the bathroom <laughs> yeah know? yeah um, and, and like and just and talking about you know social cues and, and like how so much communication is nonverbal and what to expect. I mean, I think that's a lot of what people are kind of in it, they're kind of aware or kind of concerned about 
oh, I don't, I don't, I don't know if I'll be comfortable when I travel. I don't know about money, all that stuff. I think it's becoming a smaller world, and it's a lot easier to travel now than it has ever before. Yeah, well, we have mobile devices now, so you can get the information right. Yeah, and it's not like the old days where you, people would literally walk around with their language books and. <laughs> yeah, I had a Lonely Planet guidebook, my and language book, and all the book. analog yeah. ways and stuff. Yeah. And people were drawing out maps, and everybody traveled with tons of paper. Yeah, it's, it's funny. I still do. I, I went to South America. Um, as you know, I went to Chile um, and Patagonia about a year ago. I had to come back early because of COVID, and I had brought my Lonely Planet guidebook. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I was yeah. in the minority. Not many yeah. people do that anymore. Yeah. I'm kind of old school like that. I had my phone, but I definitely used my guidebook. Um, but yeah, so I so that was kind of where the roots started. I was volunteering, helping out the hostel. And I think by the second trip um, in 03, my friend Chris was running the hostel, who I worked on other projects. I mean, we did a lot of stuff as a board of directors. Did a lot of like policies and stuff like that. And he was like, you know what? You're probably the most qualified person I know to help run this place. And you love hostels. Just because of your passion. travel experience yeah. or because of also you getting out in the community and yeah. teaching the community all travel, the travel skills that yeah. you would need. All the above. Like, I mean, you okay. think about it. Like, And for a while, I didn't want to do that because I was like, I just I love hostel and I want to get paid doing it. But then I was like, why would I not want to do what I love? Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it wasn't like I was going to make a lot of money, but I tried to I kind of shuffled things around. I kind of figured out my finances and try to make it work. And I, and basically by 04 I was working at the hostel being his assistant manager and then he moved on and then 2 years later I was running the hostel. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So okay, so all just kind of worked out you were just kind of in the right place at the right time to, so to speak and then Yeah unsure by the opportunity and then you're yeah. like you know what i think it's a good one and you went with yeah. it. yeah <laughs> and ironically enough looking back at it i mean i kind of like have all these seeds in in my my history as far as my background like i went to school to be a social studies teacher so sure. i'm certified to teach like history and geography to the high school kids although i decided not to do that um and then that kind of is my my teaching background kind of comes into play as like when groups came to the hostel, I do tours and programming, like you were saying. Yeah. Um, things that made it more than just a cheap place was where the programming so, came to play. So tell me maybe one of your favorite events that you guys did. Uh, the bike and movie might be the like the Hallmark event. That was like the big deal. Because basically when we did it back in like 04, 05, 06, no, no one had a projector or no one even knew. Like bicycle was still bicycling and it was so cool but it like having bicycle events was kind of cutting edge sure back then. yeah and now everyone ha and their mom has a, has a projector and a screen is no big deal yeah but back then it was cool and then and then we what we do we do a whole theme and then so we got like donations from like local vendors like tofurkey would donate like hot dogs um vegetarian hot dogs and burgers and then we um we get pizza donated i mean it was just really great community event because we raised money for um, things to help uh, the hostel become more uh, bike user friendly because we've always had that relationship with bikes even like you go back to hostel international in the united states it started in new england and part of the deal was is they put hostels um basically how far of a day ride you could do so uh, like okay. 30 miles here there's a hostel 30 miles there there's a hostel that's kind of the roots of HI in, in the United States. Yeah, and, and yeah. We've always yeah. had that relationship. So I've always loved the bike and movie. We used to have like 200 people. It was, it was a big deal. Yeah. We had music. 
There's a lot of bands that I really love that I've had that I invited to the 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 bike and movie. And and you've developed relationships with a lot of these artists yeah. too, right? Like it's some real, of the bands, yeah, and stuff totally. From doing these events. Oh and yeah, stuff. yeah. Like yeah. some there's some fairly big bands, some DJs that you know, like Portland Hallmarks are like in the scene that 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 one of their first paid gigs was was the bike and movie, and and it's 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 a great relationship starter. Also, like I mean, you go to network with the neighborhood you tell them who you are like they can support you they sponsor you i just felt that was a real symbiotic thing for the whole neighborhood and portland at that time i mean it was still pre-portlandia um it was still kind of cutting edge like i mean you never hear of a viking movie where i'm from in virginia it's like sure what yeah. the hell is that yeah yeah and, and there, there wouldn't be an event like that in places i've grown up yeah. in colorado either yeah. except for possibly in boulder you know but, yeah exactly and then maybe a couple places in denver would do something like this you know for yeah hipsters in that area those yeah. areas but but the rest of Colorado ain't doing anything like that. No, I don't <laughs> yeah. think so. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> or and definitely not. You know, trying to encourage more bicyclists to come around and mingle with the travel community because Portland's always had pedal palooza and just yeah. all our bicycle events that have always catered to like the arts, the artists, Absolutely. and the bicyclists. Well, that was all part of, of our things. like relationships. We had several staff members that were involved with pedal palooza and sponsor. We sponsored pedal palooza, and that was. Our event was like one of the bigger events of Pedal Palooza when they first started, so that was kind of a big deal. Um, and and just the networking that we did with it, and it's like, and then basically if we if we raised money, it was a fundraiser. That money would go right back in the hospital for programming. And like for example, one year we raised enough money to have a bike fix it station. Oh, cool! So when someone's bike touring, they could bring their bike um, in the backyard and there was a, there's a bike shed and they can actually fix their, their bike for free. Yeah. That's great. So, yeah. you know, it's like, yeah, just yeah. kind of like a, a pit stop, even if you're not going to check out the event. <laughs> yeah. We had, we had a lot of discounts like that. Like say if you're bike touring, if you rode your bike from Seattle to Portland per se, um, you get a $5 off per night bike Got discount. Yeah. We're happy to promote Wh that. Which then was probably a pretty good deal because the rates yeah. were so much cheaper than they are now. <laughs> yeah. And things yeah. have changed and things gotten more expensive, but yeah, I always, always really enjoyed stuff like that. I mean, it was, it was an obvious payoff. Yeah, yeah, that's great. So um, then there was like the um, um, economical environmental thing with the rain roof at the hostel. Was that always been on site since you started or was that constructed later? Well, the history of that began with Greg Haynes. He was our former night manager and he, he wanted to, to start like a nonprofit. I think it was Eco Roofs Everywhere was a nonprofit initially. And then basically he uh, he wanted to get a grant. He was on the cutting edge of like green roofs and like in urban like areas, and no one's really had an eco roof before us. So okay. that was back in two thousand. I want to say two thousand one. I see. So yeah. he had a he had a grant from the city of Portland. It was like it wasn't even that much. It was like five thousand bucks. But basically, like they paid for the materials, and he had enough labor and volunteers. And our whole front roof, which is super highly visible. Um, basically turned into an eco-roof. And it, it worked great because it gave us a lot of visibility. It gave us a lot of marketing, um, put a, you know, put us out there in the, in the green. Because, I mean, housing is, is naturally green anyway. Yeah, like, yeah. Eco-conscious. Most I mean, backpackers are kind of, for the most part, pretty non-carbon uh, footprint absolutely. kind of travelers and I mean, stuff. you think about it, by sharing a room with other travelers, like say if there's even four people in a room as opposed to one person per you know, square foot or whatever in a hotel, it, it, it's, it's like, you know, you have lights, you have electrical, you have water, all those resources are being shared more. 
So it's just naturally eco-friendly and it's more progressive in that way. So that was always like, yeah, that, that was a good, good synergy back in the day. So that's kind of where the seeds of that kind of started. And then um, if I can elaborate on that. So that was the beginning of the project back in 2000. And then uh, 2007, when I, like, we had the mayor at the time, I think it was Sam Adams. Oh, I remember, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we had a big event at the hostel. Yeah. So the, the Bureau of Environmental He was very progressive for us. I miss him because he was supposed to help us get Max into Vancouver to, you know, cut down on the screen lock, which we see now because of all the influx of all the people moving here. We yeah. need, we, now we're screaming for public transportation. Yeah. If, you know, if people would have been more on board with his policies then, We'd probably be doing a lot better right now. Yeah, I really, I really thought uh, Sam Adams at the time was was really good for Portland, and so they had an event because they want to celebrate the Eco Roof, which is their most visible asset for the Bureau of Environmental Services for Portland. And then we kind of had a little like hodgepodge, had a few beers, and we're like, "Hey, what else?" They're like, "Hey, what else would you guys want to do around here?" And I was like. How about a rainwater harvesting system? <laughs> he was like, what? And I was like, so you, you connect it to the roof and the downspouts. Because in Portland, um, we have a stormwater combined issue. So when it rains, you have, like, say, it just rained a lot a few minutes ago. Um, if there's a huge rain episode, let's say, like, an inch within a day, um, what happens to the stormwater system? If it gets overflowed, it goes into the Lamet River and then based, or I'm sorry, into the sewer first. And then if the sewer overflows... That that contaminates the Willamette, so it's a huge issue. Gotcha. Yeah. So so it is a bio chain. Yeah, and also if you don't figure out a way to recycle the water. Oh, it, it's like we'll get warnings in Portland, like don't swim in the Willamette when there's been a lot of rain. Um, we still do. They've been working on it. They've done the big pipe. They've done asked. They've encouraged like local residents to disconnect downspouts, etc., because that takes the tax off the stormwater system, so it doesn't overflow into the uh, sewer system and hence the river. Um, but yeah, we were in there like a super fun site. Yeah. So it's, it, it saves the city money, but also saves the city infrastructure to have these innovative ways to deal with stormwater. So with your time at the hostel, all this time at the hostel, how many different uh, construction upgrade projects were um, accomplished while you were there? I wish there was more. Um, I, I want to do another bathroom remodel, but that I got stuck in hiatus. The band stage was already there. Yeah, the so so the band stage was there when I got there, and I had remodeled it and made it bigger and better, and um, like with more art um, from a local artist, um, Tyler Fuqua, who also uh, works at Oregon Country Fair and Burning Man, and he's 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 got a really good grasp of like he, general contracting but also adding some artistic touch to it yeah, yeah. so it was a really great like uh mountain mountain hood scene in the background for that um and then put a nice roof on it so you have year-round events there that was done i think in 07 or 08 and then he remodeled the back area um so basically we added a tv room and a community room sure okay. that was made out of recycled materials like i think he used like railroad ties he used recycled um insulation blue jeans oh, okay so, yeah so we had so we had a cool little room and we opened up the community people had meetings there all the time we'd have board meetings there as well and then people when it was downtime like the guests could watch tv or even like yoga or whatever you know so it was nice to have that extra room it wasn't it was on the back porch so it was dry but it, he totally remodeled that that was a pretty big deal um and then the the rainwater system was probably the biggest deal because we procured a um $120,000 grant from the city of Portland. Sure. So basically what they did is this, this resulted from that discussion with Sam Adams 
because they were like, well, okay, well, you know, we'll talk about this rainwater system later. So we had dozens and dozens of meetings to see what we could do. So basically what happened as a result of these meetings, they agreed to build a rainwater system where when you flush the toilets, it's rainwater. Yeah. yeah. So it's pretty cutting edge. Right. Um, and they're, and for the city of Portland, the reason they want to do this, because if they show the local populace how you can disconnect your downspouts, it's going to save them money in the long run. Right. So it's kind of like... And, and it's better for the environment and, yeah, and our yeah, river. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so. which, which, is the, which is the bottom line too, right? Yeah. But, like, um, but also, so it's a perfect like, uh, like place or center for that because we're very public. So we're open to the, to the locals, right, so Portland proper, so people from yeah. the city could come see our, our property. But also we're open to people from around the world. So, like, we'd have 10,000 overnights a year, and, like, uh, you know, people from Germany, I had, like, a Korean TV crew show up. I oh, mean, wow. And all these people, especially back, I think the project was finished, I was looking at the other day, in 08. Um, so, basically, what they did is they put downspouts, they put, like, salmon art and these two large cisterns outside. It's very visible. And then they had a sign that lit up and had a meter showing how much water we saved. Because basically the water run off the roof and fill these tanks, and then it would be pumped back into the hospital to all five toilets. That's great. So we saved tons of tons of like uh, water. You know, like um, it wasn't a gray water system per se. Um, there's filters and there's a pump system inside, but it was a pretty substantial system. I was really proud of that. Like we, I think we won some. Uh, some green awards from Hostel International USA, from Hostel Bookers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, I've seen all the big hostel platforms. They, yeah. have, they always mention, you know, the, you're a green thumb hostel for the yeah. roof and I think, because of that. So I think we're number two. That project. Yeah, I, thank you. I appreciate it. I think we're number two greenest hostel in the world, like in 2000. 15 and 16. And the Hopscar Awards or something like this? Yeah, the Hoskers. <laughs> yeah, or the Hoskers or something yeah. like that, yeah. Yeah, I mean, whatever. I think in Europe they called something else. I think they yeah. called the Hopscar. Yeah, it's kind of like, uh, you know, yeah. the Golden Globes or whatever. I mean, they, yeah. everyone has their different definition of whatever award, but I'm just, I'm just happy to get it or some recognition. But it's like, it was pretty cutting edge back in 09, 08, you know, having that type of system. I think everyone knows what EcoRoof na- is now, but, you know, back in 01, 02, no one knew what an eco-roof was. It was kind of like, well, was this green roof here? And I can't tell you how many people we had come by and film it and check it out. So, so if you could give me any uh, funny stories, what do you miss most and what do you miss least about um, the hospitality industry and the hostel? Oh, that's an interesting question. Um, well, I mean, I, I love, I, I miss the, the international travelers that would come through and being a host to them and be yeah. like... Um, and one, and one of my favorite events was actually the Thanksgiving uh, dinner because there's so many people that would come internationally and even in the off-season stay at the hostel, they had no idea what Thanksgiving was. Right, just a whole new American no holiday for them. And yeah. they didn't know that they were yeah. coming during Thanksgiving. It's great. <laughs> and it's, uh, Thanksgiving's always been my favorite meal and always always will think of the hostel because I've had people from around the world. I mean, like everyone would come up with their meal plans, like this uh, – this guy from Puerto Rico had like these plantains one time. Oh, great! Um, I love seeing uh, like Australians and Kiwis um, guys from New Zealand um, when they react to see the pumpkin pie because like, like they never seen pumpkin pie. Oh, before. they never. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I, I, I didn't know there was no pumpkin pie in uh, Australia or New uh, Zealand. Man, they're like, what the hell is this stuff? It's, it's so weird. It's like sweet and kind of gelatiny. And I'm like, what? They're like, what's this? I'm like, yeah. well, you know, you know, at least it's not what you guys have. Uh, what is the uh, 
What is it? The, yeast? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Some of the Vegemite. I yeah, know the Vegemite. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, like it tastes yeah. a hell of a lot better than Vegemite, my friend. Yeah, Vegemite. It's kind of <laughs> like the vegetarian spam, I guess. It's so weird. I, yeah. I never, I mean, they say you put butter with it and it tastes, I mean, yeah. I don't know. I've had a million Aussies kind of take the piss out on me for not liking Vegemite, but yeah. I'm not sold. <laughs> yeah. Well, to be fair, I think I've met a lot of Australians that aren't like super proudful about the Vegemite. Yeah. Either, but yeah. You know, but then I've also met the ones that really are, and I'm like, no, that's uh, <laughs> that's great for uh, people yeah. that are trying to eat healthy and be vegetarian, but right. that stuff is not natural. <laughs> nah, it's, 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 it's the like, history of that is funny because the reason Aussies and Kiwis, well, Kiwis aren't, aren't as big on it. Because Vegemite was like um, is yeast extract, and it's like one of the few things that would hold up on a ship. So basically, on the travel, like when they when they came from England or whatever to Australia, it was gotcha. one thing that didn't rot on the ship, so they all got a taste for it. That makes perfect sense yeah. now. Yeah, yeah, so it's like yeah. old pirate food, kind of. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You you can say like they're prisoners because <laughs> yeah. yeah. the penal colony kind of. Sure, did. sure. <laughs> you want to take the piss out a little bit, as Aussies say, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, what do you miss least? about uh hospitality well, industry well i mean like it did take its toll um and there was definitely some people that you know didn't belong at the hostel yeah you know i mean i think i saw i think we talked about there's a new movie called no man land and sure. like um it's about like for lack of better term it's like transient people living out of their vans you know they're, they're quasi homeless or houseless and they would stay at the hostel and like, you know, sometimes it was a good fit. Sometimes it wasn't a good fit. Because they're not necessarily traveling and trying to explore mm -hmm. and learn new things about an area. They're literally just trying to have an affordable life. Exactly. And, <laughs> and I, that's not the same as somebody who's yeah. who's just ignited their travel spirit that wants to know all the latest ins and outs of the place they just landed into, I guess. Absolutely. It's a different dynamic when you're a traveler and a different dynamic when you're just kind of buying your time. And it's, it's not like all those people were not, I mean, I had some really great, you know, lack of a better term, winter weirdos um, sure. that, would, that, would, that would do that. They would be living out of their car, but they would pay for, you know, a bed or a room or whatever. And uh, a lot of times, you know, they're, they're, they're no frills and they're totally fine and everything was cool. But, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of folks that kind of slipped through the, the social net. And there's a lot of people that, you know, didn't belong there. Um, you know, would just kind of wear out their welcome. I had to ask them to leave. Not have good social cues. Yeah, or yeah. Just, <laughs> and, and honestly, a lot of mental health issues too. Like especially in the winter, not not as much in the summer because it was a different kind of like crowd, more international, more travelers. Definitely. But I think yeah. it's a result of, of the United States, um, especially in the winter, like older middle class or middle aged folks um, that don't have relatives to stay with, and then they kind of bounce back and forth between these hostels. Yeah. And on one level, I felt really bad for him. But on another level, I, you know, if I'm a traveler, like from New Zealand, you're Australia, like. The, on the other hand, you're like, the, but that, that, this yeah. is not the venue. This is not the venue. It's not for, the right place for that. <laughs> for uh, society repurposing. No. no, and I think that's that's part of it goes to the misconception what Americans think hostels are. Um, not so much on the West Coast. I think most people get it. But I mean, I go back east or go back home, and I'm like. You know, oh, I work at a hostel, and everyone's like, "What's that?" And I'm like, "Oh, not the movie." Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's not. It's 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 a no. It's yeah. not. It's not a place for like you know like South American drug smugglers to kind of hang low for a little while. No. And B, it's not like you know um, a homeless shelter. That's what a lot of Americans think because they think so. like, "Well, why wouldn't you stay in a hotel?" 
And like a lot of people, like myself, I mean, I, I feel like I'm hostler for life. It's about the community. I mean, people make, I'm, we've had these discussions thousands of times, hundreds of times, like you love the community. Because especially when you're traveling by yourself, there's no better way to meet other people than staying in a hostel. And it, for the most part, it's, it's very safe. And then you have access to a kitchen. So you can like go to a grocery store, bring your food back, make it there. And while you're making your food, oh, someone walks through the, the kitchen and you start talking. Yeah, yeah. You always make new travel friends. Yeah. And sometimes you end up making such good friends that you continue your travel journeys with people that you meet at a hostel. Absolutely. And, stuff. and that's happened to me tons of times in Europe and met some of my best like friends, you know, yeah. long-term friends just from traveling and using hostels. Absolutely. I think it's like, um, it's one of those things where like, I think Americans are just, they don't travel enough and they don't have like longer vacations. So they're like, well, when I travel, I want to, I want to like be on the beach side and drink a Mai Tai and like not do anything. And like, that's not the same as traveling and like seeing the sights and feeling the culture and getting like a real gist of a country. It's a different thing altogether. Um, and even, you know, when I went to Chile like um, a year ago, I intently stayed at hostels to meet people because I was by myself. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I yeah. almost always do, except yeah. for the only times I, I, I wing from that is when it's like maybe I just arrived at the place so I don't have to deal with the jet lag and and be social or at the very end of the holiday. When you're burnt. So, yeah. <laughs> so, or at the very end of a holiday so I can actually give myself much needed time to kind of collect uh -huh. and kind of do my sort of like journaling phys yeah. physically or mentally yeah. journaling of like how my search for the private room <laughs> yeah so take a, take a shower a bath if it's a really nice room yeah <laughs> i mean it's just funny usually at the end of every holiday it's like that's yeah. that's when i want to become a writer yeah yeah that know? makes sense and so You're kind of decompressing from your trip i'm going to decompress and i want to try to kind of log it all out to look back and right. like think about what the whole experience really meant to me because when you're in the moment they're all great but then when you reflect on them they're even better that's my opinion yeah and if you don't if you don't put them to paper or maybe a blog or something I mean, it's one of those things that you know you've experienced this great thing and you don't know how to share with other people i think i think in american culture that's not valued as much as the rest of the world and it's really unfortunate yeah we um, don't we don't encourage in our citizens like the australians do the no. australians are basically saying you need to go take a sabbatical yeah at sometime in your 20s because it's very very important for you as being one of our citizens to be culturally sound and yeah. you know and I, I really respect it because they know they're just they're a whole continent with one culture well they're de facto so isolated too yeah. so economically it doesn't make sense for them to just go to europe or go to like say go to england that's it so yeah they have they, they basically do a gap year and it's traditionally you know done I would say between high school and college or take a year off in college. And honestly, like if I didn't take my year off when I was 26, it was after college, after a few years, like I feel you get so much more out of travel when you're younger. Yeah. I mean, it's not like I don't get a lot from traveling now. I still love it, but it changes your world perspective and you're so more open to the different ideas and way of looking at life and, and, you know, different kind of facets but when you're older, it's like you, there's creature comforts. You, you kind of demand them more. Like, you know, like the older you get, you're like, oh, I couldn't stay in a dorm room. I got to stay in a private room. Sure. You know, yeah. I can stay in a dorm room if it's smaller and people aren't snoring. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, you, you, you are less willing to put up with those things the older you get. Yeah. But however, I mean, I still feel like I, I'm sort of salty in some ways where I like I tell myself I've done this before. I could still do it now. 
and it's not the end of the world, you know, and doesn't break me. But, yeah. but, but certain things like, especially in Europe, do I don't have the tolerance for no more. I don't have the tolerance for people coming back from discos at three in the morning. Yeah. And and, and choosing to you know do their shots in the dorm room as opposed the to party you, hostel <laughs> as opposed to using like the hostel kitchen you know and be nice to the people that are sleeping. Yeah. You know because like younger kids they they're never going to get that. They just, well, they that's just part. That's a bit dynamic and, with the hostel and like. Our hostel in Hawthorne, you know, for 40 plus years, it was very social, but it wasn't yeah. a party hostel. Like, sure. after 10 o'clock, it was lights out, and that's kind of the way y'all like to run it. Like, if you want to party after 10, then go outside or go down the street to the pub, you know, go visit those small, you know, like bars and restaurants, go see some live music. Like, don't just hang out at the hostel. I know it's cheap to get drunk. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You know, but, like, I mean, you can get drunk anywhere in the world. I mean, I'm not saying don't do it. I'm just saying, like, don't just live to party, you know, like, because there's a lot more to life and travel and so forth, you know. Yeah, it's yeah. yeah. Well, so, I got about five minutes left on the show today, and I want to uh, touch into probably a little more serious issues right now. Obviously, the hostel, HI, couldn't keep it because of the pandemic. Yeah. And so maybe if we can just talk for about five minutes about where you see the future of hospitality and where that's going. Yeah, it's really tough. It's it's so difficult now. COVID's changed life. And I alluded to this earlier. Like, I actually had, I was traveling. I was in a dorm room up to the minute when, when COVID kind of hit when in Chile. And then I had that must have just been a surreal experience. It was crazy. <laughs> and and to be honest, I was, I, I think I like, it was right after I did um, the Torres de Pana, like uh, circuit backpacking trip. And I was like, I was like three, I, I made the five day trek in two, three days instead. And then I was just exhausted next morning. I think I just like, I coughed for like two seconds. And the manager who I befriended and, or the owner, I was hanging out with him, like got to know him, he's a super nice guy. He was getting tweaky. The early days of COVID when yeah. you couldn't cough near a person. Yeah. yeah. And, well, <laughs> we just, all remember you know, those I days. I cough in the morning anyway. Like, I'm just getting up. I'm kind of clearing my throat. Yeah. And I was just like, yeah, this is changing. I, I got to get out of here. So I, I, I uh, basically went to a private room. And then I, I hightailed out of, out of South America. I, got, I think that I was on the last flight out of Chile. Because like, we're, we're leaving Santiago. And the, and the, the flight attendant or the... Um, Pilot was like, congratulations, you're on the last flight out of, out of Chile. And I was like, yeah. holy crap, this is surreal. La- last evacuation ship. It was, it was surreal. And then getting back to the U.S., and it was like a tenth of the amount of people in SFO. Yeah. It was just like a ghost town. It was just, it was surreal. So the reality of COVID, I think it's the kryptonite for dorm cohabitations. Like, I don't know how you, until people are vaccinated, I don't know how you, how you navigate that. Because basically COVID hit and then the hostel was officially closed, but we we're trying to navigate and figure out we could reopen and there's just no way around it. Like Do you see things sort of like in kind of like um maybe like a Star Wars film or like an Ewok village or something where there's like little capsules of that uh, that can accommodate six people and then people like construct and, yeah and people construct these new kinds like yurts. of setups yeah, yeah maybe or, like yurts or, or yeah. yurts or something yeah. I and think things like this I or think something if you set up if you have like something future or... potentially like it's tricky i think eventually dorms will come back when everyone's vaccinated but it's going to take a long long time so like in our case it was detrimental because we didn't have that much time we could just go hibernate and come back Right. So, like, in the, in the Portland Hawthorne Hostel, I mean, you know, 40-plus years of existence, we shut down in March, 
And then I was on like half time, you know, 50% on the pay, uh, on the payroll, just doing odds and ends. So like basically, I don't know about the long term, but it's short term of it. How do you envision, I guess, maybe the schematics or the blueprint, should I say, of a future property that you'd be using in the age of COVID? I think, I think you kind of brought up the yurts. I think yurts, like you have to get a property that, that you can have a lot of private space that people are comfortable in. Right. Or even after everything opens up, having a backup plan where maybe half the property is, what, it. is like half socially distanced yeah. and the other half is traditional. But, yeah. but if some other pandemic happened again later down the road... Yeah you know, then you're still got half your income because you, you've you already yeah. got a property that's half socially distanced well, or that's, something. Yeah, yeah, you have to be able to have room, say, of flexibility in that don't have a lot of shared, like the shared kitchen was also a detriment, which sucks because like that's one of the best parts of a hostel. Yeah, yeah, the, the common know? spaces are like, the best. How do you get around that? Meet, like, meet I mean, everyone. you can't have a COVID-friendly kitchen. I mean, you're sharing plates, you're using the same sink, you're drinking the same coffee. I mean, it's like, how, like you're using the same fridge. Right. Like, how do you navigate that? <laughs> yeah, no, no, I mean, it, it, it's, it, it's a mystery, so yeah. it's interesting to see how yeah. how it all plays out. I think yeah. a lot of people are just going to take the risk as they come to them, because you can't just be completely in avoidance in these no. situations. You, you gotta, you you gotta, gotta take life. your chances sometimes, so. Well, you gotta live life, and you yeah. know, like, um, I've done a little travel, like I've seen it at this place um, called Lodge up in Westport, and it was a good hybrid, like it had a hostel room that was closed. But they also had camping. They also had like um, private rooms. So I think having that flexibility yeah. for now is key to be able to survive COVID because people have to feel comfortable and have to have their own space. It does kind of make me think that in the future, more properties are going to be going to having like multiple options, yeah. you know, being part community based, part, um, you know, experience based, and then yeah. part like, you know, um, rough in it. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be all these hybrid like, properties. With, with like maybe know? teepees or hammocks yeah. or cabanas yeah, like mixed or use, something. Something like yeah. that where people can have, like, a, and that's the only way you can do budget. I mean, like, who can afford a budget hotel? You know what I'm saying? Like, budget hotel. Like, there's, and most of them aren't very good. So, like, the idea is, like, with hostels, is communal, right? Yeah. So, it's finding, a, finding a private space where you can, like, sleep or stay away, but also having a communal space for programming where you can meet people and stuff and finding that sweet spot in between. And that's probably a big problem with a lot of the hostels that are closing. I just found out three more are for sale. Um, they're just not built for that. Yeah. You know, yeah. They're, not built, so. they're not built for that because like they're, they're depending on a certain density or a certain amount of dorm beds being booked. Obviously, Financially, yeah. to be able to be viable, that you kind of have to do that. So. Yeah. Yeah, it's a bummer. I mean, it's like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm trying to figure out, you know, if I want to keep working in hospitality. I, I don't know what the future holds. Um, I'm trying to keep it all open-ended. But, you know, maybe there's opportunity there, you know, turn some, some lemons into some lemonade. You know, you never know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think it exists, but I do think the, 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 the traditional structure is, like, not meant to be stayed right now yeah i don't think you can stick no. to that structure no. you could go back to it even after where you've got like a, a new normal world if you will yeah but but who's to say how long a new normal world's gonna last for yeah. because we all experienced this yeah this is this is unfounded <laughs> i mean, I mean so. like you know everyone says uncertain times i mean it you know it is i mean but also like i still hope that everyone you know not everyone but i hope people want to travel and explore the world i think the world's a better place because of hostling and it's just a shame that, you know, like COVID hit. I mean, it's like the worst case scenario for just like the death of a hostel. Right. You know, if it can survive, great. I mean, there's a Northwest hostel in town. 
I think they figured it out. Like they cut, they shut down a lot of it. They they used dorm rooms, but those private dorm rooms, <laughs> but it's not a long term fix. I mean, like how long can you do that? Like you know, they have they have bills to pay, and you know they'll go under if they keep doing it unless people start coming back. Sure. So it's also a tough nut with Portland too. Like I mean, I hope in West Coast, I hope I hope it rebounds and become more of a tourist destination or a travel destination. Because right now it's not the most appealing place to visit. So. Yeah, but no, I think I think we're going to bounce back. In that I think department. so too. I mean, you, you, regardless, I you, you know, people don't get the kind of nature that we get in the summertime. So yeah. you know, people are always going to want to come see the hike, lush trails, yeah. be around refreshing waterfalls, or take a dip in like wonderful rivers and yeah. beautiful streams. You and know, great that, public transportation. They have to some get of the cleanest, it. fresh water you can get anywhere yeah. in the country. So the most bicycle friendly city in the country. I mean, I love. Yeah. I, I just bought an e bike and I'm taking a full advantage of that. You know, riding like four hour rides back and forth. And I mean, there's so many reasons, so many parts of Portland I, I haven't discovered. Or I'm still exploring. You know, like I never been up to Kelly Point, uh, Kelly Point, Kelly Point yeah. Park, yeah, yeah, right, first right. time, yeah. And I, I've been here for twenty years, so I mean, it's like that's it's a big city, and there's lots of things to explore. Yeah, where a lot of the cities, you know, you tend to only get like about maybe those five or six kind of nature things yeah. you can choose from in the city. Portland's always like just we're just surrounded by nature, so yeah, yeah, and that's a huge redeeming quality. And I think the people and the nature, I think we'll bounce back. I mean, it's just gonna be another painful year. But I think eventually we'll we'll get back to where we're at, hopefully. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that's going to be all my questions for today and stuff. And, um, yeah, thank you for spending time with me. And thank you for sharing, your, sharing with me, uh, everyone, your life stamp. Yeah, thanks for, uh, for inviting me, Tyson. I appreciate it. Yep. I hope you enjoyed my interview with Talbot this week. Um, I hope you enjoy my show as well. If you do, please, uh, you know, click on my support link and I'd be more than grateful to, uh, you know, take your considerations. If you have any questions for me, please email me, lifestamps2021 at gmail.com. The email link is in the description. And if you've got anything else you would like to share, feel free to email me as well. And until next week, thank you for listening and I'll see you next week and life stamps, stories from here and there.